Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of In the Spirit of Horse. My name is Mosey Truitt, and this week on the show, I happened to catch a pretty special guest while she was on her travels here in California. All the way from England, I got to talk with Margaret Coates. You guys might know her work because she has quite a few influential books out um, and has been doing uh, her work for a really long time. We talk about how her book, uh, Healing for Horses, was one of the very first books to come out. I think the first book to come out about intuitive healing with horses. And, you know, that's pretty influential because I think that I'm really grateful that topic has uh, has grown and um, is more mainstream now. And a lot of that is due to her work. So, yeah, I'm really excited for you guys to hear this conversation. Margaret is a healer and also an animal communicator. She's a healer for both people and animals. Um, she's also an author. She has quite a few books out. I'm pretty amazed by the list. Um, books like Healing for Horses, uh, Connecting with Horses, Hands-on Healing for Pets, Communicating with Animals, and The Voice of Animals, plus a few more. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to share this topic with you guys. We talked about um, the message of the horse, basically, and the things that Margaret um, has uh, really experienced talking with horses and, you know, hearing their story. Yeah, I'm excited for you guys to hear. It was a pretty powerful um, episode. Without further ado, uh, let's just jump right in. Thank you. I'm pleased to be here with you. Yeah, I'm so grateful that I could talk to you, even though you're traveling so far and I just happened to catch you. Like, yeah, I mean, it's my first trip to California. I've been to the States many times, different places, but the first time in this area. So it was really nice to be here because it gave me the opportunity to meet up with you. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm really so thrilled. And um, you're here because you're teaching a workshop yeah, here in California. I'm teaching a couple of workshops, one with companion animals and then one with horses. Yeah. Oh, I'm I'm jealous. I wish I was coming to one of your workshops. Yeah. But in the future, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, in I will. the future. When you've got your place up and running, then we'll yeah. hopefully do something together. Yeah, I'm sure we will. Well, I would love, you know, for listeners who are just um just getting to know you and your work, to know a little bit about what you do and um what you do with all animals and horses specifically, and yeah. So I'm um, a registered healer uh, working with humans and animals, but I specialise with animals, and I've been specialising with animals for uh, 20 years. And I wrote the world's first books on the topic of animal healing. The first book was Healing for Horses, so that was the first book in the world covering the topic of energy healing for horses and horses as sentient soul beings and that was followed by hands-on healing for pets which is about companion animals so they were a watershed in the world particularly for the horses the horse world had never seen anything like it and it triggered off 
a change in the way people wrote about horses, the way the books that came out after that. So that was the the pioneering book and the watershed to help horses. And that's the promise I made that I needed to make, help make a difference for horses because they were and are getting a really rough deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that um, we were talking about that a little bit the other night that before your book came out, I mean, it was such a common thought that horses are kind of just to be used yeah, a little commodity. bit. Yeah, mm-hmm, Like machines. And, um, and I think that's really shifting. It is shifting, and I'm so pleased. And to watch it shift and change, and in particularly in the past couple of years, mm-hmm. there's a new dynamic coming forward. There are, there are younger people like yourself coming forward who are not influenced by the, um, the people who set themselves up as gurus. And who have invented systems and methods um, as uh, for whatever reason, um, so they're not influenced by that. They've grown up with a fresh uh, pair of eyes at the horses, and they're now going into authentic science-based learning behaviour and and behavioural studies. Mm-hmm. And I'm seeing this all around the world wherever I'm travelling. Um, that we've now got. Um, university courses and authentic behavior because so much of what's been taught until recently is false you know you can if you study captive horses on a ranch you don't study behavior you study behavior of a stressed captive horse but it's not the fundamental understanding of who the horse is so this is now coming forward through um or authenticated studies, proper studies where people are saying, well, who is the horse? We need to actually find out about this animal authentically and then look at the different layers that are put on the horse that cause the problems. And once people are understanding that, then the horse can be fully understood and fully helped. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and are you kind of referencing how there was kind of like... um a wave of alternative, but what we call like natural horsemanship that had a lot of dominance theory. So then, uh, you know, I wrote in my book, I think it was connecting with horses. I actually wrote a a piece where I said, natural horsemanship, there's nothing natural about taking a horse and handling a horse. If you, you can use that term, if the horse is living in a herd freely and can have choices and is roaming in a large space. That's natural horsemanship. Yeah. You cannot use that term in truth and in honesty the minute one a person starts about handling and training because horses don't handle each other with halters mm-hmm. and lead ropes. They don't train each other. They have a sentient relationship as a herd. They don't have leaders in the herd. There isn't an alpha mare. That's all false stuff. I mean, that's blown apart by people who actually bother to go out and study wild horses. Mm -hmm. They have a social situation which changes depending on factors in the environment or the age or um, the resources. Um, So they are um, a social animal. And um, so natural horsemanship, in my experience, and the and the opinion of many of my colleagues I'm working with, has done a lot of harm to horses because it brought into the horse world a, a dominance. Show the horse mm-hmm. who's boss. 
um, that's that horse needs to learn to do X, Y, Z. So throw all the dominance at the horse, stress the horse out of his or her head so that the horse shuts down. And then what's now come forward and has been heavily studied is learned helplessness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so many times I've looked into the eye of a horse and I've thought, oh, you're, you're so shut down, you're dead inside. You've just said... I, I'm a prisoner, I'm a captive, I'm a slave to humans. I don't want to die at the hand of humans, so I'll just do anything that's asked of me. I'm not happy, I'm not contented, I have never done anything willingly, but this is the only life I have and and I'm scared. Yeah. So that's come through the national horsemanship and not just people who use that label, but other, you know, systems and methods um, and I see it all around the world, not just in the States. You know, I travel the world. I've been everywhere. So people have invented these methods and systems under various different labels everywhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, because, you know, that takes us on to the topic of why, because um, the human can be attracted to having an inflated ego and wanting to have their name in lights and put on a show rather than saying, what does the horse actually seek? The horse seeks peace, and the horse is looking for humans who are, want to create a world of peace. Yeah. Yeah, I love so much that you touched on there. Um, one, just getting back to what you're saying about the word natural with natural horsemanship, I, I'm really, really um, like passionate about using correct words and and seeing why we use the words we do. And I think it is such an interesting thing that we've used the word natural in a, in not even a good and bad sense, but just in a way that it's not actually meant with the horse. And I feel really grateful too, because I think that, like you were saying, there seems to be this wave of younger people and particularly younger women, I'm noticing, that are you know, they saw natural horsemanship come in, they saw dominance theory come in and are now taking the next step to question even that and get into, um, you know, get into learning theory, understanding why these different methods work and then asking the question, what is really ethical and what do, you know, what do horses really want? And I'm feeling really hopeful because I see so many young women and girls kind of on that path, like you were saying, that are, um, not so much just following the kind of guru. Yeah. Like they're uh, not enthralled to the guru because, mm-hmm. you know, and I've written about this as well, that what I've seen happen is the, um, the emperor's new clothes syndrome. I've sat in demonstrations, big and small, and I've seen some horrible, shocking things. And yet the people watching were so enthralled to the person um, that they looked with eyes that weren't seeing. They looked with a heart that wasn't feeling. Mm-hmm. They looked with a body that wasn't sensing. They forgot to look at the horse and they just saw this big name person putting on, a male and female I've seen, mm-hmm. um, putting on a show and, uh, and I've been totally shocked. So as a human, we need to be very careful that we don't get brainwashed by personalities that we actually say what's the most important dynamic in the horse human relationship and it's the horse 
So I would say to all of the people I come across, watch horse videos with the sound off. Mm-hmm. Don't have the sound on because what happens is the background music. Now, music is being shown and scientifically it's used to lull the brain. So you can put on a piece of music and show something horrible and the brain just goes, oh, that's okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so to watch everything with the sound off, because people can also manipulate words. They can use words to say, and I've seen it in demos, that, you know, they can talk about the horse as a spiritual being and everything while they're hitting a horse. And I've seen that as well. I've seen that too. So I say switch off the sound of videos and look at the horse. Don't look at the human. Just look at the horse and say, if I was this horse right now, would I be happy? And ask that honestly, that question. I love that advice because I think it's so true. Music, definitely. Like, you know, you put a pretty piece of music behind something and it it can go from kind of horrific to being inspirational. Yes, exactly. (laughs) And words, too. I think, you know, that's part of the reason why I like looking at language so much because you can um, pretty up diction by using things like respect and spiritual. And you can say all the right things and meanwhile not. Uh, Yeah, exactly. And it happened to me once. I was watching a very famous person and and I was quite excited to go and see this person because he had this huge reputation and uh, the first sentence he said were, you know, horses are soul beings, they're so beautiful. And I thought, oh, wow, this is beautiful. And then he hit the horse in the face. Yeah. And I thought, okay, there's no congruence here. What's going on here? This person is using words to lull the audience into a false sense of security so that they either don't see the actions or they excuse the actions because these are the words they want to hear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I... And so um, that's when I lost all respect for the so-called gurus because I have never seen one. Um, and maybe there are some out there, maybe I just haven't met them, but I've never seen one who was congruent in my experience. Mm-hmm. I love this uh, conversation because I feel so passionate about language in this way. And actually, just like a couple years ago, I got kind of um, in a situation where I was listening to someone that I trusted very much and the language was all right. You know, everything that they were saying was um, so beautiful and it felt like it was speaking to what I wanted to hear and what I believe, but my feeling knew my intuition knew something was up and it it really took ultimately leading into the feeling more than my brain to get there I agree I mean people listening to this podcast might say oh well Margaret Coates is using language and using words how do we know (laughs) she's congruent but I never put on a show yeah and um when I'm with the horses it's not about me it's about them you don't come and watch me do a demonstration to see a show because you're looking at healing and energy and also because I'm not doing this for me I don't have a massive marketing machine because that would take it into a different realm of of falseness I made a pledge to the horses many years ago when I started hearing them and when I heard their cries for help and in fact the first sentence in my first book healing for horses is in the beginning I thought everyone could hear it the horse's voice And then when I 
I was at a riding school then and, and I heard the horses and I saw what was happening and I just shouted out to them, I will do everything, I will dedicate my life to help the understanding of about who you are, who you are, not what you are, but who you are, yeah. come out into the world. And that's what I've done, spent my life doing. And also because I'm also a student of language and a student of the intuition, I'm a student of the horse. Yeah. Um, whatever we say, the reality of what we mean and think and feel comes through an image from our mind. That's the given. That's how the human brain works. So as I'm talking to you, the picture's being transmitted. And this is why often our intuition, when we're with a person, we, we sense, you know, this isn't authentic because what they're saying and what they're transmitting will be two different things if it's not the real truth and so that's so important with horses and that's what gives me so much pain is when there isn't the authenticity when um, I mean you know we talk about unconditional love from animals but we have to give them that and unconditional love means there can be no ego in the in the mix if there's ego in the mix there's no unconditional love it's just words so we either have a situation where it's just words with a lack of congruence in the images we're transmitting, the, the actual energy information, because we can't fake it. We cannot fake the energy we transmit. It's either the truth of what we're transmitting or we pretend. You can't walk up to a horse and say, pretend to be calm, fake it. It doesn't work. You're either calm <laughs> or you're not calm. And so, you know, I'm also passionate about human energy fields and being um, and the truth about who we are and thus opening that gateway to the truth to horses so it means doing a lot of work on ourselves yeah I love that so much I love the visual of um, your intention being transmitted like right next to your words Um, it makes me wonder because I can so relate to Like there was a time with my horses where I have a horse, Annie, and I love her so much. And when I was first starting to find something new and I felt like something was wrong or something was off, um, I I heard a lot of the dominance theories and I even tried some of them and I, and I was in traditional horsemanship and, um, you know, I was doing all these things that I look back on and wouldn't want to do now. Um, but I was trying very much at the time, like like I was doing my best with the information I had, you know, and I loved her very much. And it was kind of shocking to me when I took off the ropes and the coercion that she didn't want to be with me in that way. Um, And so what do you find with people who, you know, I think a lot of us are just trying our best and um, might not have the awareness. Like for me, I think I just didn't have the awareness yet to look at the horse and really understand. And I thought I knew, and I thought Annie was really happy, you know, and I just didn't know yet. I really get that and understand it because I came to horses later in life, um, in my twenties. And I went to, you know, the riding school and they said they were the experts and this is what you did with horses and this is how you treated them. 
And it, it was very soon after that I started hearing them and I just thought it just felt completely wrong. But I was pressurised into a situation where I was made to put on tack that didn't fit and things that were going on. And, and you keep thinking, well, these people must know because they're telling me they've spent 30 years with horses or they've got this instructor certificate. And it was very yeah. soon entering the horse world, I thought none of that is necessarily relevant. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't listen to what people are telling me about themselves. I can only listen to what the horse is saying about his or herself. Mm-hmm. And that's when it all changed for me. And when when I realised that, you know, the horse is um, completely out of their natural world. And uh, it's very difficult for them. So as a human, our responsibility is to say, OK, how can I give the horse as best a natural environment and a natural time as possible. What do we know causes horses stress? You know, isolation, overwork, tack that doesn't fit, dominant stuff, um, lunging, round pens, they're all known to cause stress. Let's just look at who the horse is, how the horse would naturally be. And with our facilities... And with what we have is to set aside all of the stuff that is going to be stressful and just come to a core where we say, this is the best we can do, but we've let go of things that cause you mental, physical and emotional pain. We've taken that out of your life. And that's what I very quickly learned. Mm -hmm. And to just not pay attention to human labels, but to go, and it's what you said earlier, to go intuitively you know, is what the person telling me reality of themselves only or is it the reality of the horses? So you can, you know, I very quickly learned that someone who says they're a top instructor might necessarily not understand horses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really relate. I, I, remember, um, I remember having one of my first moments of questioning it was I was in one of my first like riding lessons. I had Annie for a long time before I took riding lessons, but it was one of my first with her. And um, the instructor gave me a crop and told me to whip Annie, you know, to make her go faster. And my first thought was like, like, oh God, I don't want to, like, I don't want to whip my horse. But they said to me like, no, it's the kinder thing to do because otherwise you're going to be kicking and kicking for them to go forward and just give one smack and it will be done. And as... And I really think that the instructor believed yeah. that was kinder. Yeah. And and for me, it was an interesting moment because it was this disconnect where I trusted them, yeah. but I also felt unsure about it. And I think now going with the feeling, all like knowing and having trust in your feeling yeah. is so important. And I absolutely agree. I've been there in exactly the same situation in all those things. You know, yank yeah. on the reins, give the horse a tap, um, I've heard all of that and done it all and I just always felt so bad it felt so wrong and it was when I thought I'm just going to step away from it completely um I can't do this anymore I'm going to come out of that orthodox horse world way of being because intuitively it was wrong and why would I want to hit an animal I mean why would I want to do that and and then people talked about well it's an aid but and it, it to me it's not an aid it's just a hitting yeah. so um you know i and now we've got a big situation where there's 
bitless riding, which can, but actually can also cause problems if the, you know, the the nose thing's too it's tight. Well. But um, we, we, there's lots of things. There's competition now with barefoots and bitless and all sorts of things going on. So people are making big strides forwards mm-hmm. where there's a seeking of um rec- and there's a recognition of of the negative and there's a seeking of moving forward to doing things better for the horse mm-hmm. yeah i see that too can you tell me about you you've said a couple times and i'm so intrigued when you first heard the horse and you were um, I guess you were at the riding stable and you first had that message. What was that like for you and how did that come to you and how did it Well, I life? actually had to look around because I thought somebody cha- I thought somebody had crept up beside me and shouted in my ear. Was it, that clear? it was a voice. I mean, I, I can hear animals in various ways. It's either a knowing, you, this mm-hmm. intuition just suddenly gives you information, you know something. And when people say, how do you know that? It's very difficult to explain because suddenly the knowledge is there. Mm-hmm. So it's that's a transfusion of information. Or I can see information come almost like I'm reading a sentence. Or uh, it's a voice and uh, you can't make it happen. People say as a communicator, sit down, ask questions. I never do that because that's... Uh, uh, a human agenda. I want to see what comes through the trans- natural transmission. Like I'm having a discussion with you. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first time it happened, I was at a riding school and I uh, walked towards the horse and um, I just heard a voice say, help me, I'm in so much pain. And I whipped around to see who would come up and said this. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't, I was still alone. And when I looked at the horse, the horse was staring at me. And then I heard the same thing mm. in a different way, like a, almost like a pleading whisper. Help me. Please help me. And I'd, I was just so shocked. And it, it was like... It was like the, the rug from under my world was pulled away because I thought that I knew then that it was all false and all wrong and that I had to then walk a pathway of being a voice for the horse, of studying the horse. I mean, I, I, I've done maybe 35, 40,000 horse consultations, not just for clients, but where I've been around and about and horse rescues and everywhere. And, you know, I know practically nothing because I'm a student of the horse. I know a lot in terms of because I'm teaching and mm-hmm. people come along and say, wow, how do you know this stuff? But in terms of what the horses know, I'm just um, in awe of everything. I'm learning constantly from them every single time. There's no two horses on this planet the same. You can't say that horse is like this horse, which is why you can, in my book, methods and systems don't work because you have to listen to the uniqueness of that person. So, um, it changed everything for me. And then there were so many messages I got from horses and things I witnessed, you know, horses being abused at riding places. Not the person, as you said earlier, didn't necessarily think they were abusing them. They thought they had to take the crop across the face or do something. They thought it was a discipline, show the horse who's boss. Mm-hmm. But it broke my heart and I thought, um, I, I, 
I can't do this. I can't be this way. This isn't for me. And it's not my pathway. It's not what it's not the path I want to be walking. Um I think I said to you the other evening, I think the worst thing that's ever happened to the horse is that the horse met humans. Mm. But also, we also discussed that the horse has got a great deal to teach humans. So I think when we get the relationship right, when we redress the balance, when we actually say, okay, this is how we as humans need to find our soul to um, listen to reality and the truth, then we can take the teaching of the horse. Then we can set the horse free. Ah, I love that. It's chilling. Hmm. That's kind of what I wanted for this podcast, to be focused on the lessons that the horses have to teach us because I think they're so much more profound. Yeah. Um, I'm curious... You've you've encountered so many horses and you've talked to so many horses and healed so many horses. What are some common things you hear from them? Pain. You hear pain. Physical pain because <clears throat> the horse has never evolved to carry a, a, a burden, a load. Mm -hmm. But that's, that's a scientific fact. It's a prey animal, mm -hmm. like the deer or the um, zebra or something else. Um it's designed to have, uh, it's got a long back, small feet for a burst of speed to get away from predators. It's got a long neck for grazing. It hasn't got a long neck for being tied up with its head in the air where you get all of the neck spasms and shoulder mm -hmm. pain. Imagine having a piece of metal across your tongue. Yeah. Um, all of those things, pieces of leather around your head are tightened. So... Pain, 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 pain is what I hear. Head pain, neck pain, feet pain, back pain. And I'm not quite clear of the statistics, but I think something like 70% of horses have some form of kissing spine, you know, once they've been ridden in a lesser or greater degree because they have not evolved to be ridden. And when we add... Saddles and the Western saddles are really heavy, but some of the English saddles are incredibly heavy. Um, and then the rider and the legs and the whole thing and the hands, the position. What are we doing? And that's when I, uh, that was when I stopped riding. I thought, well, what am I doing? Having said that, I do come across some horses who do enjoy riding, and the the most common type of riding they tell me they enjoy is trail riding because it's the most natural pace mm -hmm. where the owner has soft hands and lets the head go and the person's just out in a rapport with the horse to look around but once we start asking for overuse of the natural paces trot canter gallop then we're setting the horse up for pain mm -hmm. you know there's no way of getting around that yeah it, it reminds me have you seen the documentary um I think maybe it's called the spirit of horse oh man i i don't remember but it's like it's on youtube yeah it's, i think i have yeah. yeah and explains really well the like physical body of the horse yeah and, like, i mean if we look at biodynamics biodynamics um there's um there are people who teach biodynamics and we can look at them where the muscles work and the back works um 
we're asking a huge amount of the horse to... The natural pace of a horse is slow walking with the head down mm-hmm. and a lot of resting. And the other things, trot, canter, gallop, are rarely used by the horses. Mm-hmm. So to, to in, in the riding establishment, there's an overuse of natural paces. And so pain is the number one thing, physical pain. And then that's followed by mental and emotional distress. Yeah. Um, so those are the main things. Do you ever come across horses that um, really love their humans and are like... Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I meet some lovely, beautiful soul people um, and and the horses love them. You can see they love them. They've they 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 have in their eyes the opposite from detachment. Mm-hmm. I hear lots of people say my horse loves me, but that's what they want to believe. So we have to really know the horse loves us through um, knowing that we're doing everything that the horse needs. Mm-hmm. So it's you know it's a it's it's something I've had to learn when I say my cat loves me, my dog loves me. Is that just my wishful thinking or my agenda or is that really true? And just looking and feeling and getting the truth of that. And you can see it in their eyes when they do. You know, you can see that soul rapport. Um, It can't be something that we think we want. It Mm -hmm. can't be our agenda. It has to be something we know is true. Mm -hmm. And trusting, feeling and intuition. Yeah, trust, feel, intuition and there again, you know, how do we know it's the intuition, not the ego? We'll just have to do lots of work on ourselves and, you know, my workshops. I hopefully get people to that level. Um, I think the biggest hold back, biggest block for humans is agenda and ego. Agenda and ego go together. Mm-hmm. And once we set that aside, and it, it's not just words or it's not just a concept, but it becomes reality, we step into a different place. Yeah. So, and when you say agenda, um, what do you think of when it comes to the horse? Well, so agenda would be, I want my horse to do this because I want that. So Mm -hmm. there's an agenda. My horse must go and do this at this time when it suits me. Mm -hmm. Rather than say, well, how is the horse feeling today? Um, Mm -hmm. You know, are there any issues? And also what I come across a lot is people say, oh, I don't know what's wrong with my horse at the moment. He or she's always been okay to be halted, and all of a sudden they've got a behavioural problem. They don't want a halt to run. Well, horses are not like that. There will be a reason, mm-hmm. and it's often pain. And I explain to people, like in our life, pain can kick in at any time. We're, we're fine and we're normal, and then we might get gut pain or headache or something. It's the same with the horse. Yeah. So it's looking at the horse each moment from a neutral place as we would like other people to look at us mm-hmm. and um, and have a, a, a relationship where we're, we're always listening, we're always observing. So that's something I teach in my workshops. And observing is not just visually, but observing with our whole being, mm-hmm. listening with our whole being, um, Uh, sensing with our whole being getting used to sensing energy because the horse is an an animal that's very very sensitive to energy Mm -hmm. hypersensitive so when we get onto their platform of being equally sensitive then 
we we get so much more out of life because we're coming back to our true way of being as an animal we're animals too and you know people often say well what is the biggest thing that horses can teach us as a sensitive energy being as a prey animal the horse seeks peace because the horse herd can only survive in an environment of peace Mm. So the horse is saying to us, and every time I'm with a horse, they are seeking that the humans around them are at peace. So we can't take the peace from the horse. We have to work on ourselves, find inner peace, establish that through um, healing, meditation, authenticity, lack of ego. And when we meet the horse through inner peace the horse then can then be peaceful and of course the horse is radiating the opportunity for us to be peaceful so the more we create havoc with horses the more we create pain distress anguish the more dominant we are we create chaos and the horse says i can't be peaceful i can't radiate that back to you yeah i can't radiate i can't help you But when we are harmonious and realise that we are soul beings, spiritual beings, and reflect that, the horse goes, yeah, I understand you now. We can now reflect to each other peace. Yeah. I had that question written down. Sorry. (laughs) No, it's perfect. I'm I'm so happy you're, you're hitting all the things I really want to talk to you about. And I've spent a lot of time out with wild horses, um, just camping out with them, um, horses that are truly wild and horses that some of them have seen so few humans in their life and some live actually around human communities. And I relate to that so much that I think there's this idea sometimes, like I get it from like the Discovery or the Animal Planet or, you know, all the early documentaries I watched when I was a kid about the nature. And it was kind of this, um, this feeling of prey animals are always in distress they're always worried about being eaten. You know, it's, it's almost like the wild is uh, constantly chaotic and like a really scary place to be. And while, you know, there's not to deny that there's like life and death cycles in the wild, my personal experience of being out with the horses and being in the ocean and being out where nature is thriving is that there is this level of peace and that that is the... That is the true state. Yeah. And the wild horse is... I completely agree with you. I've spent a lot of time with... Um, I live in a national park in the UK, which is 4,500 feral horses. So I've spent thousands of hours just hanging out with them. And you feel the peace. Yeah. And, okay, every now and again there's a predator and you get these chaotic moments. But, you know, these TV programmes with the drumming music and the escalating thing and then the chase and everything, it, it makes it out that life is this chaotic thing in the wild but it's not it's all very finely balanced and there is this intense harmony and this tense peace and then these short moments of um of ending Mm -hmm. and um but whereas for me the human has created on this planet a continuous moments of chaos 
Yeah. And that's the big difference. Yeah, I, I feel you very much on that because I think even our projection onto the wild as being this like super chaotic, dangerous drama, yeah. you know, the whole time um, does seem like much more of a reflection of us because it makes me think of the Women Who Run With Wolves book um, and how seeing death and, you know, because I've been out with wild horses where I've found like dead horses, you know, and um, it's not being in denial that there is a life and death cycle. It's just that the drama, even like I'm thinking you said, like putting the music behind it, this drumming, this like um, this intense uh, fear almost around it isn't doesn't feel really true to what the wild is no and i think kind of more the feminine balance it's like the feminine has the or at least in the woman who run with wolves book she talks about this and i really relate that the feminine has an ability to see life and death and not in a incredibly fearful way but in a very natural way and i think that our projection also of the wild has been very um isolated from the feminine like Mm. like many things in our culture we haven't seen things through the lens of the feminine Mm. and when we do i think we notice a lot more of the harmony and how yeah i agree and and i also know some very beautiful spiritual men yeah who uh you know of all ages but i agree with you and i think nature is not a wild place it's a place of harmony Mm -hmm. Nature has wild animals, um, but it has a structure and the animals understand their role in the wild. Um, And it's when we, we as humans come along and disrupt that, that's when the animals are incredibly sad and that's when the fear comes in. You know, in the the wild situation, and I've found in the feral ponies come across in... it's a few ponies that passed away. Um, but it, it was a moment in time. It wasn't their whole life. They yeah. were shut in a stable with bits of leather and bits of metal in their mouths. It was that moment in time. And there is yeah. a timeline. And the, the, the animals living in the wild understand that. They, they understand the beauty of their role. And I've, I've studied, I study wild animals from tiny insects to birds to everything and they understand that their role their part they're playing is incredibly beautiful mm-hmm. and it all has a part there's no the only chaos and destruction on this planet is when a human comes along with the intention to destroy mm-hmm. knowingly or unknowingly often knowingly and that's where the balance of the planet is going out so for me, coming back to realizing that for for us to find the peace we're looking for, we need to be creators of peace and reflectors of peace. Mm-hmm. I think I I so agree. I I remember when I first started um, seeing these things in the horse, and when I first started really questioning everything, and I was so upset and I was so angry in a lot of ways and and I think you know as a natural reaction um 
I had that anger, so I was a little bit hard and rigid around it. And I had very clear ideas of like, this is right, this is wrong. And um, because I was just so passionate. And I think in the past year, or a couple years, more, more than a year, but a few, the past few years, um, I've softened a lot. And not in the sense of not caring about the horse, because the horse is, I think I care even more mm-hmm. now. Um, but softened around having compassion for myself and having compassion for other humans and yeah we're all students of life um I don't think that excuses I I can't I we shouldn't use that as an excuse for things and I and and I'm and I'm highly vocal about abuse and uh, dominance and you know things like canned hunting and all of that stuff Um, because there is no excuse for it. That uh, you know, nobody can say to me, "Oh, that's part of the human journey to to to, to yeah. create suffering, to cause suffering, and to to cause to kill for pleasures." Is to me is just not even on the page of the planet. Yeah. Um. But um. But yeah, I mean, we're all here to learn, and I just every time I'm with an animal, I'm learning something new. Yeah. Um, and that, that for me is the most special thing. And it, every time I'm with an animal, I, it makes me realize how little I, kn- I know, mm-hmm. really. And um, I think that's the beautiful thing is to just keep moving forward and forward and forward and gaining their knowledge, gaining some of their insights and um, being a sponge for learning and realizing that, you know, if everybody was a healer, there'd be no need for healing. Yeah, that is quite, it's quite beautiful. And I think I didn't, I don't mean that, uh, that it's an excuse for like, you know, for causing suffering, but more that I found that, like you were saying, that the peace starts within and that we have to heal ourselves. Yeah. I think that finding more compassion for myself and kind of through that, um, letting go of shame. Yeah. That has opened me up to actually taking more accountability. Yeah. And I think, you know, for other people and and how I see myself and other people now, I think so many of the cruel things we do comes from a place of shame yeah. and comes from a place of feeling really harmed in ourselves. Yeah. And we have to yeah. take that into consideration and, and know that we deserve the compassion too to heal ourselves so yeah. that we can feel yeah. good and spread and, that. and I really understand that and you know it is it's just letting go and I, I know some people say oh that's really easy to do and you can say that but we have a choice to yeah. let go or to carry on dragging the burden around mm-hmm. and that's something I realized a long long time ago that I have that choice I can, and the animals taught me that to be in the moment and say, okay, the past is a time you came through, but it's not here now. And you don't have the future. You can have an awareness of future, plan for it. But you have to make the best of this moment. Mm-hmm. You have to be in this moment because that's all you've got.
Hello, everyone. I am interrupting this episode to give you a message from our sponsor. That's right. This episode actually has a sponsor. I'm feeling like a very legitimate podcaster right now. Um, and I'm so excited to uh, be sponsored by this, this company because, um, yeah, I just I love them so much. This week's episode is sponsored by WildFed. I am a minimalist and am try to be very, very conscious about what I consume, you know, both for myself and also especially for the horses. And when I was thinking about doing sponsorships for this podcast, I knew that I was going to be insanely picky and only promote things that I actually really use uh, consistently and really, really stand behind on every front ethics and product and uh, how they uh, the production of it and um, and just you know looking at the whole package and I am so proud to be sponsored by Wildfed because they really do have it all and they are a company that I actually love and use all the time. So you might have heard I had a podcast episode with the CEO and founder of Wildfed just a few weeks ago, and you can hear more about their products um, and more about how they started in that episode and also just get really good information on horse nutrition. But basically, Wildfed is a horse feed company that actually puts in tons of thought into what they produce for horses. So much of the feed out there is just filled with byproducts of other industries and things that are not really good for horses to eat and just fillers. And until I found Wildfed, I basically refused to feed my horse any um, grain that wasn't just pure Timothy pellets. And so when my horse Moon had a hard time putting on weight a couple of years ago, I really wasn't sure how to help her because the increasing hay wasn't working. And that's when I found Wildfed. It has amazing ingredients and actually feels like really pure and all of them are sourced for the horse. Um, it's really well researched. I felt super comfortable feeding it to Moon. It was actually kind of a, like I felt like a godsend when I found it because it was everything I had wanted to find in a feed and had never been able to find. So it's pretty incredible. Um, I also love, just on a side note, that all of their packaging for their feed is in paper bags, so less plastic, which is really important to me. Yeah, I just I can't, don't have enough good things to say about this brand. They put herbs um, into their feed, and they also have a whole bunch of new herbal supports, like supplements for the horses, which I am really, really loving. I've used the liver cleanse, um, after deworming and if I've ever thought the horses have gotten into something that maybe they shouldn't have eaten um, and I love that I've actually eaten it myself um, I've also eaten the stomach soother myself <laughs> which is good for horses with ulcers um, you can also use it with dogs they also have an allergy support and an endurance formula and uh, yeah you can go on their website and check out all the different um, herbal supports they have I'm actually really excited to try the allergy support with my dog, who kind of is allergic to basically everything. She's allergic to outside and inside. So I'm excited to see how that helps with her um, skin issues and whatnot. But all the ones I've tried, I've just been really, really impressed with. And this is really the only grain I will ever feed my horses. And I would be supporting them no matter what, because I, I really, really believe in this product. So so grateful to have them 
um, as a sponsor on the show. So thank you, Wild Fed. Thank you, everyone listening. And let's get back to the episode. So how do you recommend people get more in touch with their feelings and get more in touch with the moment to both hear the horse and hear themselves? Yeah, that's a really good question. Well, I found the route to that was to really reappraise my lifestyle. So it's not um, watching certain TV programs. It's avoiding going to places where there's chaotic crowds um I, I let go people from my life who didn't have the same philosophy or ethos. Who I, you, The more sensitive you get, the more you find your intuition says, no, 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 and, and, and things, um, it's like it, your whole body says, get me out of this place. So I let people go out of my life and new people came in that are on the same wavelength. Um, so I'm very careful what I watch on TV or movies. I am... Um, like going to lots of music things because music's good but also the biggest stepping stone was to join a meditation class so I did years of yoga pure yoga Um, I did 10 years of transcendental meditation which is pure meditation without music where you're just um, elevating your consciousness and that helped me to find the stillness within so that when I go to work with an animal or I'm with an animal and I, I can be teaching and talking, I can morph into the inner stillness simultaneously, very quickly. So we, it's it's going to places, which and, and all of this is the natural indigenous way of us, the meditation, mm-hmm. because we come all come from tribes of peace mm-hmm. where we were in the wild also. So it's going back to that, um, that's the food of the soul, to so meditation. Um, not following guru meditate, as people who teach it, because that creates another issue. When somebody starts telling us it's this and that that we have to believe, but actually the time and the space to go within and to find ourselves. And that was the big stepping stone for me. And I, and I started that very young age, very, very young age. I started my yoga when I was... In, in about 15. Wow. Um, yeah. And then I continued um, and, I, and, and I have to spend time every day for me. I can't just be continuously amongst people. I have to go, go, switch off wherever I am and just spend some time with me mm-hmm. to keep that um, harmony going. So that's the biggest tip I would give is find a really good meditation class and it's not just a once or twice. It has to be become a, a, um, a life thing. So, you know, after all the years I did it, now I'm not with a formal class because it's there. It's something I can just slip into easily. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, meditation. Yeah. So when you started working with horses, you were already... Uh, you were already meditating, which I'm sure yeah. helped you hear yeah, them. It, it did. It, it did because... It, I, I had that place, it's called a place, I call it a place of neutral, 
where once you go into that place of neutral, you've let everything from your life just pass away and you're in the inner stillness. Because we are a soul taking a human journey. And I know that from my experiences. There's a soul person in me within this body and this person that's come as Margaret Coates. And then through that inner stillness, that soul comes to the fore. And that's that that's where you hear the authentic voice of the horses and the other animals mm-hmm. because it's it's the place of neutral it's the place where you hear truth yeah what does your meditation practice look like now like what's your well i'm not i'm not with a formal class because i'm right. so busy and traveling and because um if you've done it for years and you've really got the foundation mm-hmm. um then you've got that core Right. So every now and again, I might, um, I like to go to retreat places for holidays. And there's a beautiful place, for example, I went to last year in in Austria, where they had a meditation room. And for me, that was a real treat to just lie on this place in the salt room. And instantly I'm there. For me, it's just instant. I don't have to prepare. I don't have to think of my breathing. I can just lie there and think, okay, I'm in this zone. And I'm there. So that's, you know, the sort of thing I would do. Or at home, if I needed quiet time, quite mm-hmm. peaceful time, I would put on one of my healing music CDs, which um, I've produced. And um, and that music will take me there because it's working on the alpha brainwave state. So I think it's really important to have that space and time. And, and even busy people, and I'm a very busy person, can find... 10 15 minutes to be peaceful and chill out and meditate Mm -hmm. so you feel like even 15 minutes a day like if you can find that yeah it's really important when people say to me i'm too busy i say you're not too busy you're making a choice not to do it yeah i i love the um i'm super into nonviolent communication and i feel like everyone who listens to this podcast will know that um but one of the big things is uh with accountability that we always have a choice, you know, even if we're given an, what we would consider an impossible choice. Um, like we always, always have one and to recognize that gives us more accountability in our lives. And, and yeah, I know that when I don't meditate, it is, um, I'm not making it a priority. I could, but you know, I'm making the choice there. And honestly, sometimes it's hard for me to personally, prioritize meditating even though I really feel like it would benefit and so I'm trying to do that more and more and more um but yeah and it has been really amazing already the all the benefits of it yeah it is and I think it's important to recognize we have that choice Mm -hmm. um and it might be a huge choice or a small choice Mm -hmm. but to find space every day to to find out who we are is so important yeah yeah, I also really liked what you said about, um, you know, the different places and people and things in your life that are adding to your chaos. Mm-hmm. I think the idea of conscious consumption is so wonderful and so relevant right now. And, you know, you can think of conscious consumption in something like the things you buy or like, you know, being environmentally aware and minimalist. But you can also think of it as what you're taking in yeah. in your day and just yeah. being... I think we're fed so much, whether it's through Instagram or advertisements, yeah, yeah, all day. Yeah. I just switch off. I, you know, yeah. I don't follow it. Um, I don't do. I, I've got my Facebook account, but I don't do other things because 
I find it sets my heart rate going. I'm thinking I've only got 24 hours in a day and some of that are asleep. I don't want to do this. Mm -hmm. I don't want to do this because this isn't part of my soul journey. Part of my soul journey. This time I'm wasting on these things. I could actually be sitting and doing some meditation or looking at a beautiful view or watching a bird Mm -hmm. or stroking a cat or a dog or being with a horse that I am choosing to do that I don't want to have things um just fall on top of me because it's there in the world and I feel I should and I think it's feeling empowered that just because other people do it you don't have to do it and if other people say oh why aren't you doing it you're not we we need to realize that we'll never find ourselves if we just um fall in line with other people's wishes yes oh I so feel you it's been liberating to be able to get in touch with myself of like what do I actually want yeah and then honor that enough to yeah do that or take that you know you know with with my smartphone I don't have it on everywhere I go I switch on to take some photos and I have it on a few times a day to check my emails and things but you know when I if I'm sitting somewhere on a train or Sometimes take buses and things. Um, I look out the window. Yeah. Actually live. <laughs> I actually live. And I take a journey from where I live in the UK. I go up to London and I look out the window for an hour and 20 minutes and I see deer, I see birds, I see animals in the fields, I see all sorts of things going on and greenery and I get their feelings though I'm, I'm replenished and everybody around me has just been staring at this piece of technology which is deadening their brains yeah I oh I so relate I I think have the thought a lot when because you know like the technology is actually addictive and it's actually yeah it's working off our brain in that way and yeah sometimes to just sit and experience where you are like in a line or traveling um is so powerful because you do like the times when I get off my phone which is honestly probably more often than not I'm actually on my phone not looking at the line I'm in um I do feel more drained and all of a sudden it's like waking back up to reality and I'm and I feel like only half there and and you know I see this with horse people as well and someone recently said to me oh I can't hear my horse and I can't tune in and her phone was pinging and I said is your phone always on and she kept taking out taking out and I said you need to come out to the horses and leave that in the house oh I can't I might have an important message and I said well you're actually making a choice that really you're giving the message to the universe and your horse you don't want to hear the horse you can leave the phone behind yeah and you can deal with it later you will never hear your horse if you keep pulling the phone out it can't be something you just say Right, I'll try and tune into my horse for two minutes. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'll go back to the phone. It doesn't work. It has to become your life. Mm-hmm. And then you fit in the other things rather yeah. than that becomes your life. And um, you try and fit in for a couple of minutes tuning into your horse because you never will hear the horse. Yeah. This is inspiring me so much because I so feel that shift that when you're slowing down and you're more and you're obviously in the present um all of the things like that I truly want are in that and yeah the distractions are just that they're, mm. they're distractions they are and so it's what what is our priority yeah. you know and I've come out of business career 
Um, I used to be travelling the world as head of public relations and marketing for a big international group of companies that was had offices in the States as well as the UK and around Europe. Um, and I understand what pressure is. But even through all of that time of pressure, um, I decided that, and I was doing the meditating through all those years, I decided that I had a choice. Did I want to go down the pub with people in the evening or did I want to do something else? So I would choose to stay and have time for me. Mm-hmm. So we have a choice. We don't have to do what other people are doing. And I and I learned very quickly that um, I didn't need to be doing things I didn't really want to do just to feel part of the gang. Yeah. That uh, And that's what happened. So through doing what I felt nurtured me, the people who were right for me came into my pathway. And of course, that job went and I entered on this. And now I'm surrounded by people like minded who um, who who support this journey of peace seeking and healing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, having the courage to to listen to what your wants are and your needs and to actually honor them, I really do think um, mm. changes everything. It does. And it, it is having courage. I mean, it's very, very difficult when, you know, you've got relationships around you and people are just not on that same wavelength. And uh, and it can make us ill, that pressure of, oh, this person doesn't understand and they're not supporting mm. me. And I understand all of that. And I had to go through it as well. And I had to say at the end of the day, I can't be a victim. It's it's not in my nature to be a victim. I need to, um, because we only have this one journey. And I just so much wanted to um, step into the light. I didn't want to be dragged into the darkness. So it's, I understand all of these things. I understand the pressures. I understand the need to have some courage to, um, and I understand the loneliness. You know, I had to step into a place of loneliness for a long time because that was the only transition to getting to a place where other things um, came into my life. So I understand all of that. But um, it works. It, yeah. It, it works. It like always requires a jump into the unknown, but yeah. I think it's it's the way to our true happiness. It is. And there are so many people out there that will support us. Yeah. And I found that. I found once I stepped on that pathway, you know, that all the people that came into my life, everybody I met was so different. Mm-hmm. And even people I would sit next to on a plane or a train or in a cafe or somewhere, I thought, wow, there are all these people out there that I missed before that went in my zone because I wasn't on that pathway. So that I found, that's been a huge learning. And then, and I found then, um, and it gave me courage. And then I also found that being alone isn't being lonely. I mean, I'm not alone, you know, I've got a husband now. But I also found that you can be on your own because I seek loneliness every... I seek being alone every day. Yeah. But I found that being alone isn't being lonely. Yeah. I, I've i found that too. And I, and I love... I love this because I really, I really, really believe that when you align with yourself, these things 
comes so much more seamlessly yeah. to you and you stop chasing. And it's kind of getting out of the mindset of scarcity and fear. Cause I know like for me, the time when I was most lonely, I was leaving a situation I knew was not good for me, you know, and I, I knew I wanted something else, but there was that period of not being sure if, you know, who I was going to meet mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. um, if I was going to find the community I wanted and, um, and yeah, I went through a stage of loneliness that then turned into just being alone and then finding people that yeah. really... Yeah, and I've been in that state as well. I, I, You know, I've been in that place where you feel so alone, you're terrified and frightened. Mm-hmm. But then I thought, well, hey, you know, this... I've got to step beyond this. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I go out into the world, um, it'll fall into place, and it did. Yeah, and I think it really does. It really seems to, I mean... That's been my experience. Yeah, it's been it, that's been my experience. So I, I, but I understand people going through it, and I understand yeah. it can be difficult. And meditation helped me really because it yeah. helped me to be grounded and it helped me to focus on my breathing. And it, and meditation is proven to help the brainwaves states. It's it's um, it helps your well being and health. Mm-hmm. So I found that a very useful step to take. I love that. Um, I know we haven't really talked about this, but you're, you are a healer. And do you mind sharing a little bit about how you started getting into healing work? Well, for me, it comes from childhood. Um, but when I say this, people say, oh, you've always had it from a child. I can't do it because I'm 56 or 96 or 30 or whatever. That's irrelevant. This is just my story because this is why I'm teaching healing because everyone can be awakened to the healer within them. We've all, we're all healers. All humans have that ability. So we have a choice. Do we follow the healing or the hurting? Mm-hmm. And so the, the healing can be awakened, but it's just for whatever reason. Mine was awakened as a child, um, probably because my mother was a healer. So I thought it was perfectly natural um, and I was very sensitive at those times to, to people I would sense when they weren't well or I'd want to, you know, touch them. There were books on healing lying around. I'd pick them up and I'd think, oh, yeah, you know, I get that. So it goes back a long, long way. But then it was on the back burner because I my first um, qualification was a degree in art and design and advertising, went into London, was working in that and moved into PR and marketing and um, so I was working in a different field, but it was always there. And when in 1996, when the group decided to reformat and downsize and a bunch of us got made redundant, I thought, great. For a long time, I was really unhappy, thinking I need to be doing something else in my life. It went on for years, but, you know, you've got the money coming in and the good job and where do I go? What direction do I take? And so then I went into and retrained in complementary medicine therapies for humans and opened my own clinic. And it was a woman came to me who was terminally ill with cancer and she had healing and uh, spiritual healing. I'm a registered spiritual healer. And she said to me, oh, I feel so peaceful. And before I leave this earth, I haven't got long. Will you come to my horse? I want to know my horse feels this. So I um, 
went to her horse. She was really pleased. She was there. She was really happy. She told her friends. And within a couple of weeks, I had as many people booking animals as humans. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, I need to... Um, I need to go and read a book about this because I'm winging it at the moment. I'm just doing it intuitively. Mm-hmm. Is What do I need to know about this topic of animal healing? So I, it was 1998, so it was before you pressed buttons on the internet and it all came up. Mm-hmm. But I spent the day in the university library and very quickly found out there wasn't one book in the world on the topic of healing for animals. Mm. No one was doing it full time. No one specialised in it. Um, No one had written about it. You could find human books with a sentence saying, oh, maybe you could do this on animals. Or um, animals might enjoy it. That's all I was. So I decided I would start writing for animals. And that's how I got into it for animals. That's so wonderful. It's just that that's such pioneering well, you say the pioneering. I sent my first manuscript, Healing for Horses, to all the horse publishers. Mm-hmm. And within two weeks, they all came back and said, why are you writing about animals as spiritual beings? It was Healing for Horses. You've used the word soul with horses. This will never sell. Horse people want books about, or we publish books about, training, whips, spurs, saddles, tack, jumping, all of these things, exercises, this is the most crazy idea we've ever heard. And the book did get published by Random House, who were non-horsey because they published, and still do, um, books on spirituality. And they thought it was would be very interesting to go into the animal market because they did loads of books on human healing. So without any, which was great for the horses because there was a publisher who wasn't horsey, who didn't edit anything I wrote apart from grammar Mm -hmm. who let me say it was it was they thought it was yeah a great topic non-horsey people so it actually worked out brilliantly so the book came out channeled by the horses inspired by the horses for the horses and shook the horse world I mean big time but what was really interesting and all the books since then it shifted Mm-hmm. the dynamics of books that came out after that yeah and but what's really interesting very quickly I started getting messages from people saying thank goodness you've written this book I thought I was alone mm. this this has touched my heart and so that was so wonderful that out there in the, on the planet were all these people waiting and um, so it was, yeah, it was pioneering and it was a scary place to be because, you know, then people were going, well, you know, uh, the, the conventional healers who were just specialising in humans said I was selling them short because humans were more important than animals. I had a lot of that. Mm. And I just thought, OK, that's your problem. Um, and that's all stopped now. So animal healing is just blown into a big topic and and it was that first book. Um, so I did it for the horses. I made them a promise. Um, I had to write it. And I wrote three more books for horses, although I've written seven books and they've all got horse stuff in them, but three specifically about horses. Um, and it was a promise I made. I, I said to them, I will 
do everything I can to make a difference for you. That's just incredible. I'm so inspired, honestly. Um, and I made huge sacrifices to do it. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's huge sacrifice writing. And I always said to the horses that I always said to them, you know, this is never going to be an ego trip because I know that's not who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it has to be about you and for you. Um, and that, you know, that has to be my legacy. And other people mm-hmm. like yourself who are coming through, uh, adding the layers, you know, it, I put in a foundation that triggered things and then all of the layers coming off and it's the tree is growing. Yeah. The tree is growing. And that's what's so amazing. It is. I, I feel so um, hopeful and inspired because there are, like I said in the beginning, so many um, people, especially women, which is pretty awesome, but people in general who are hungry for this and who are changing the dynamic with horses in every place of the world. Yeah. And, you know, it comes to the bottom line. If you want to be happy, create happiness. Mm. If you want to be peaceful, create peace. If you want to um, find truth, be truthful. Yeah. If you want to... um, have a legacy. We will all leave this planet. That's a given. Mm-hmm. If if you want to have a legacy of knowledge and authenticity, be that. It's not just words. It's not just pretending. Mm-hmm. Pretending. Uh, it it doesn't. It, the the horses see right through that. Be a being of light. And that's something that horses say to me all of the time. For for many years they were saying to me, we seek light. And for a while I didn't really understand. As I say, I'm a student of the horse. So often things come and I have to work it out. What do you mean? Let me investigate it. And maybe the dogs and cats then help me out because other things follow. We're looking, we're seeking light. We look at people and we're looking for light. And then... Uh, A couple of years ago, I was doing a one-to-one with someone. And um, the person, and I show this in the horse workshop, and the person taking the photographs um, stopped taking the photographs. And she looked at a camera and she said, can you stop the session because um, there's something wrong with my camera? So we went to have a look and she'd take the six pictures and each one there was a tube of light from me to the horse, from my solar plexus to the horse. And she changed the angle. She'd come in closer. She'd gone back. She changed and because she's thinking there's light coming in. But it was January. It's England. It's really dark day. <laughs> that I don't like working with lights on in the barn. So it was quite dull inside. Yet here were these tubes of light. And... Um, we looked at it and I thought, do you know, this horse has somehow manifested this to, as, to show me, to show people. And then she took more pictures and it was normal. But the, the evidence is she was moving her camera. So she yeah. was coming closer, changing the angle. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't in the viewfinder. Yeah. It wasn't in the image because this beam of light would have been in the same place 
it was coming from me to the horse. Yeah. So wherever she was, it stayed in different places. And and I and, and then I looked at that horse and I said, Oh, thank you so much. You've just shown me that as a human we transmit light and we can diminish that. We choose, it's a choice, whether we diminish our light or expand our light. And we're not perfect. I mean, you know, I'm a human. I get things wrong and, you know, you, you lose your temper some days about things. So this isn't a story about perfection. This is a story about um, doing, following a pathway and sticking to it and realising we will, you know, fall off the edge every now and again. Um, so that horse... That amazing, incredible horse that day, somehow, and I can't explain it because I'm not a horse and I don't understand their intense spirituality. They're way, way above in any human on this planet. It manifested to show that we transmit light. And I think Barbara Brennan in her book has actually talked about this. We transmit light horses are seeking light and we can't fake that we can't say oh, i'm shining light my horse will love me it has to be a lifestyle it has to be everything about us and so they're looking for light they're looking for beings of light and that's fell into place that that's what they mean when they say we're looking for light and often horses say to me i love my human because they transmit light when i mm. when my human came to the horse lot and i was desperate for a home I saw someone with light and I called to that human. I said to that human, take me, because I saw amongst all those people who came, that one was transmitting light. And often people say to me, you know, you're so right, because I went looking for a, a grey mare and I found um, a black gelding or vice versa, whatever. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why I took this horse. It wasn't what. I went to find mm -hmm. but something made me take this horse and the horse said yes because I pleaded with you I saw your lights yeah oh it makes me think of all the times that I've seen with other people and felt myself like walking by a group of horses and feeling called out by one yeah and and I think uh I think that happens a lot when you find like horses that you're really really drawn to mm. um that's just beautiful. I'd love to... So they, you know, this is why I say I'm a perpetual student of the horse, what they have to teach. And as a human, we can't be given all the knowledge at once because we can't take it in. <laughs> so I go to a horse or a dog or a cat <laughs> and they know everything on the end of my finger. It, all the knowledge of all the universe, of everything, they, they get it. But to a human, they have to... Pull it out like a piece of string coming out of a ball. We have to give you this so you get this, you understand that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay, thank you. We'll give you a little bit more and I will add another layer on. And that's how I found my life is going. Mm. So every time, every day, I'm learning something new. There's a new awareness. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes me so humble to be in the presence of any animals, the birds, the dogs, the cats, the horses, because they've got all this stuff. And yeah. and I'm as a human only can take it in in dribbles. Yeah, and we we think we're uh, we th we think we're like our one strain of intelligence is like the only yeah. intelligence. So the human is not the master species, the dominant species, but not the master species. Yeah, oh, I complete. I yeah. I feel you. 
Um, thank you so much. It's been so wonderful to talk to you. And um, yeah, I, I can't wait to read more of your books because I think I just, I love that you, you kind of started the wave and you've made it possible for so many people to come out and share their experiences too. Um, for people who are just hearing about you and want to get in touch with you or want to see more of your work, like where would you send them online and what book would you recommend? Well, um, specifically for horse people, there are three horse books. There's Healing for Horses, Horses Talking and Connecting with Horses. Mm -hmm. And then there's my latest book, which is um, The Voice of Animals, 10 Life Healing Lessons We Can Learn from Animals. And that has horse stories in. There's also a book specifically just on communication. So -hmm. there's a big choice. They've all got horse stories in, apart from there's one book that doesn't have any horse stories in, and that's Hands-On Healing for Pets. But the other six books do, and people can find them online. They're all available in the U.S., um, and uh, they can, you know, just flip through and choose. Um, and then I have a website and um, I do lots of workshops. Um, and, um, you know, I announce things on the website. So there'd be all, all sorts of things going on. And I, I'm, I, in the States, I'm going to be having a meeting next week about hopefully an exciting new project that will be worldwide. So... Um, yeah, just keep following the website and see what gets posted on there. Exciting. Uh, what is the website? Uh, MargaretCoates.com. Okay, great. And it's M-A-R-G-R-I-T-C-O-A-T-E-S.com. Perfect. Okay, and I will link that in the show notes so people Thank can you. just clip, yeah. click right on over. So hopefully, yeah, this, this, this meeting um, will lead to an announcement of something that be accessible to everybody. Oh, I'm excited to hear what this is. Mm. I I don't even know. Um, and I can't talk about it yeah, yet. It's like, I'm like, give me your seat. Yeah. I want to know. Um, no, that sounds wonderful. And uh, yeah, and maybe by the time this podcast actually comes out, it should be this Friday. Maybe it'll be a little bit closer. So yeah, it will be closer. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, it's next weekend. I'm off to meet this person and um, and and look at the options. Ah, so exciting! I'm so I love that. Um, well thank you everyone so much for listening thank you so much for being here thank you and i will see you guys all next week with a brand new episode